Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me today is... And I'm Anya Crittenton, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News, and so happy to be back. Yes, she's back from New Zealand. Unfortunately, HT is not with us today. She is in Austin, Texas, uh, at the South by Southwest Music Festival movie, whatever whatever they, whatever they do there at South by they Southwest. They do lots. They do a lot of things now. Um, yeah. It's very commercialized, apparently, uh, according to some <laughs> cr- some critics online. Uh, they, I think they have, like, a Suicide Squad thing there. Oh. And they also have, like, something from Star Wars. So it's, like, becoming, like, the Comic-Con thing. It seems to be coming, becoming, becoming Comic-Con, yes. Yeah. But it's in Austin, Word. Texas. Um, so hopefully HT's having fun there. We miss her, and hopefully she'll be back soon for another episode of the Millennial Falcon, which you were currently listening to. <laughs> so, Anya, what is today? What are we doing today? So today we're going to be talking about movies. As we typically do. Uh, But we're going to be talking about the way we watch movies today. So while I was in New Zealand, I saw a couple movies in theaters there, just kind of on nights that I had on my vacation. And the theater I saw the movies at, I saw Deadpool and Spotlight. And they had intermissions. But those movies don't actually have intermissions. They do not. So this is just kind of a thing that the movie theater does, where like... You can order food before the movie, and then it'll be, like, cooked, and then you can pick it up during intermission and that kind of thing, and, like, a chance to stretch your legs, I guess, or something. And so they had intermissions that were not intended to be in the films, and (laughs) kind of snobbishly, I will admit, I was a little annoyed by the intermissions. Um, But it started making me think about the way people watch films, and, like, the the most ideal way to watch a film. (laughs) And then completely relevant to this idea I had in my head, this week there was a debate over the screening room. Right. Which is a new technology that may or may not happen that basically will allow people to get movies the day they come out in theaters, but watch them at home. Uh, I think it's like $50 a movie, and you have like 48 hours to watch it. Yes. And the the set-top box is $150. $150. Um, And now it's causing this very big split between directors. There are several directors who support this new technology. Like, I think, uh, J.J. Abrams, Spielberg, Ron Howard. And then you have directors like Christopher Nolan and James Cameron who do not support this new technology and want people to go to the theater to see movies. And so it just made me think about the way technology is changing. Like, are theaters in a decline? How should we watch movies? So, to start off, Willoughby, what is your most ideal way of watching a movie? My most ideal way of watching a movie is definitely in the theater. Uh, I recently saw 10 Cloverfield Lane, and if I had seen that movie at home, I don't think it would have had the same experience. I didn't see it in IMAX, which I know that they they had... um, It wasn't shot in IMAX, but they definitely uh, converted it for IMAX, but I saw it in... Um, a, a regular theater, but the, the sound design in that movie was so shocking and so, like, out of nowhere that if that movie, if I had seen that movie at home, I, I would have been worried about how loud it was, how quiet it was. I would have been worried about the neighbors. I live in an apartment, so, like, I, I, I wouldn't be able to have had the, the same experience as lis- listening to the movie. Um, and seeing the movie, the, the movie itself is, you know, it's basically in an enclosed bunker for most of the movie and that big of a widescreen it was like the hateful eight where it's 
you know, you kind of need to see every the the entire screen in a, in an enlarged version of it to see exactly what you want to see. If you're at home, it might be edited to fit your screen, as you see, like on TV all the time, and they have that. Um, it might be cropped. It might. I know that Netflix sometimes, the, at least the DVDs, they were cropping DVDs. Um, you know, you get the black bars, or you get. Um, I know that. Uh, for example, I have like Captain America: The First Avenger on iTunes. And it's uh, presented in the same format that the movie is in, but if you watch it on TV, they they cut it to fill the entire screen. Because oh, so it's full screen. It's full. Of. It's full screen instead of widescreen. And which, by the way, just to tangent real quick in terms of watching movies, widescreen is always better. Widescreen is always better. I watched yeah. uh, um, Superman the movie uh, a couple nights ago. Actually, last night. Uh, the one from 1978, and... The best one, you mean? Yes, the best one. Uh, I actually bought the Superman, the movie, and the Richard Donner cut, and Superman Returns, and a Target triple feature for 15 bucks. Great deal, by the way. Um, but, but I saw it, and I noticed that it was going to be in widescreen. I'm like, you don't see, you know, a lot of times movies, when they're on TV, they're not presented in their original format. And that's why, circling back to my original point... I like to see movies in their original format at least one time before seeing it on home video because I do like buying the DVD. I do like buying the Blu-ray to wa- to have and to hold for the rest of my days. Like, uh, <laughs> are you getting married to the Blu-ray oh, player? Uh, the Blu-ray DVDs? Well, we already set a date. It's in February. Oh wow! Okay, um, I hope I'm invited. Yes. Um, no, I just I really like having a lot like a, a movie collection. Uh, so having like blu-rays is really nice but at the same time i really like seeing movies in the theater um you know back in the day back back before there was home video that was the only way to see movies was on even before tv that was the only way it was in theater and then you know we, we can talk about how you know every new medium has been the death of t- movies but that has never been the case when tv came out people said oh no one's going to see the movies anymore when VHS came out, they said, oh, all movies are going to go direct-to-video, direct-to-DVD. Now we've got on-demand, now we've got digital copies through provided through Netflix, Amazon, the whole everybody, but Blockbuster. They've got, you know, you can watch any movie anywhere on on your phone, on your laptop, on your TV, or see it in a re-release on screen. But at the end of the day, like, sitting down in a movie theater with a bunch of friends watching a movie with excellent sound and a, a visual image larger than life, a little literal larger than life screen. Uh, it's just, it's the best. Yeah, and your, your point about um, emerging technology, that's part of, you know, why some directors don't like this whole screening room technology, which we will get to a bit later. I want to discuss kind of first off um, these intermissions and sort of... Um, auteur theory and like authorial intent Mm -hmm. um i'm with you my ideal way to watch a movie is definitely in the theater and that's just kind of because i know that watching it at home i will not get the same experience i will probably get distracted by something um at least for a movie that i've never seen before if it's my 20th time watching a movie i'm happy watching it at home and being on my phone or something but like if it's a new movie or i need to watch it and i want to take notes or i want to notice something like if I'm at home, I'm going to get distracted. It's not going to be as good quality. Something could happen. In a theater, you know, like you said, it's larger than light. The sound is great. It's entirely dark. And I always say this really cheesy thing where when I go see movies, the most important relationship 
in that room is between me and the movie. And that's why I don't really mind going to movies alone. Mm-hmm. Because Me neither. Like, I'm not there to talk with my friend. I'm there to watch a movie. I mean, I like talking about the movie with my friends afterwards. But, like, you know, I will see a movie alone because I just want to watch the movie. I want to focus on that. I want to live in that world for two hours. Um, and the other thing for me is that watching movies at theaters is a very communal experience. Mm-hmm. I really like seeing movies in crowds, especially, like, comedies or blockbusters. Because I can kind of feel the energy around me. And it just makes me love the movie so much more. Um, or just, like, love the movie experience so much more. And that mm-hmm. we're all sharing something together. Yeah. So, I definitely prefer seeing them in theaters. But I understand, you know, real quick, we're going to get to it later, but, like, at a benefit of screening rooms, I understand that, like, sometimes theaters aren't doable for certain people, whether in terms of, you know, anxieties or finances or things like that. So I, I, I do get it that it's not entirely doable. Theaters are becoming quite pricey. That's true. you can find the good cheap ones around you. Or do matinees, which not everybody can do because they work. Yeah, so there are definitely arguments made here. But in terms of just like purely the movie and watching it and intent... So with the intermissions, Deadpool and Spotlight obviously are not supposed to have intermissions. No. They were not made to have an intermission. Um, we can look at The Hateful Eight in 70mm, which had an intermission and was intended to have an intermission. There's literally a voiceover by Tarantino when the interme- when it comes back. About, like, 15 minutes ago, we were here, which makes seeing it without the intermission kind of weird. Yeah. Because you're like, that happened a second ago. Right. So it's intended, and, like, that break is done at a very specific place. Whereas with Deadpool and Spotlight, it's, you know, chosen by the people who run the theater, and it kind of took me out of the movie. Now, it it was worse for Spotlight than it was for Deadpool. Okay. Because Deadpool, at least, kind of big blockbuster, you're kind of just having fun, like, being interrupted, you're like, okay, and then you get back into it. Right. Whereas Spotlight, you know, very serious, very tense, um, obviously I love that film, and being taken out of that you know, feeling kind of somber, feeling really on the edge of your seat and being taken out of it and suddenly being like, lights are on, like, you can talk, you can get cookies, did all they, right, now, like, get back into this movie. Now, when they cut the scenes, did they at least cut at, like, a point, maybe not, like, in the overall movie at a point where it shouldn't have been cut, but in terms of, like, did they land, did they cut in the middle of dialogue, or did they cut, like, no, at the end cut, of like, a scene? No, they cut, like, at the end of a scene. Okay, so at but, least... Yeah, like, so, like, the cut, those cuts are, like, fine. Yeah. Um, but, like, it does kind of, like, you know, it's edited certain ways for a reason. Right. And so, kind of, it takes away kind of that editing flow, and then you have to kind of ease back into it when it comes back. Yeah. Um, and I realize it's a bit snobby of me to be annoyed by that, but, like, I think it did create kind of an interesting thought process in my head. Now, what do you think of authorial intent, and, like, should the fact that these movies are intended to be seen on the big screen, are intended to be seen without intermissions, does does that matter? Does the director's vision matter? I think to an extent, yes. I think to an extent that, you like, it shouldn't be up to the, the- individual theater chains to say, you know, when a movie is over or when it's, when to cut. You know, like, I think that there's a point where, I mean, you can definitely talk about what the author meant to say within their film, like you know, what did you know? What did this? What did James Cameron mean when, you know, the Navi were attacked by the 
military industrial complex in Avatar. Or you could talk about, um, you know, what Quentin Tarantino meant when he wanted to do, uh, like, the adrenaline shot in Pulp Fiction. Like, movies, like, the, what the director is saying in movies, I think, is different than what their their literal vision of the movie is um, in terms of, like, when, how you see it. And I think that when directors say, oh, I want an intermission here, you should have an intermission there. Or when they... or and I mean, most of the you know movies back way back when always you know not always always but a lot of movies had intermissions, but they were designed to have intermissions. Um, now we don't have intermissions. Movies might be three hours long, but there's no intermission. Like that's that's just how it works. So when you have a movie like Deadpool or Spotlight, and you're you know all of a sudden you're taken out of the of the movie, I th- that's not what the director intended, and it's not what what most people want it so it just seems really weird that that it's up to the local theaters to to say how a movie is presented it just it's a little weird it i think uh authorial intent uh is a, it's a very complicated issue because we could talk about how like you know the director never meant for this to happen but we end up you know viewing a movie cer- that certain way or whatever because of one little line of dialogue that change every- changes everything. Um, but at the same time, a director is also a director of a movie, a motion picture. There's images, there's sound. They, they want the audience to experience the best version of that movie, which in most what cases... What they think is the best version. What they, th- what they think is the, the best version. And in most cases, that is a movie without, without a break, with in in a movie theater um and you know some some directors go straight to video that's totally cool a lot of you know a lot of a a lot of independent filmmakers make their movies so that they're either going to be on itunes or immediately or they're going to be or or in limited release in a movie so seeing like an independent independent feature on like a laptop or on a tv uh like it's a literal like a smaller film i think could be okay but like big blockbuster like deadpool or or you know academy award-winning best drama spotlight you don't really you don't want to cut those movies in half so yeah i i think in terms of of what you take from a movie like you were saying like sometimes we take something differently than what the director intended I think in that kind of term, authorial intent can, like, suck it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't, like, if I interpret your movie this way and it makes me feel this way, if it's different than how you intended me to feel, I don't care. You and I are different people, and I'm going to take my own view of this film. And maybe that's a good, like, you know, maybe think of it as a good thing. Like, people are taking different things from your movie. So, like, that in terms of authorial intent, I don't think it matters at all. Okay. You know, I think what we take from films is the most important thing. We all react to films differently. We all have different experiences that make us react to films differently. That's film criticism in a nutshell. Exactly. Um, Devin Prati wrote a really great article about that, actually, which I think you're probably getting at. Uh, you're probably referencing a bit. <laughs> um, we can link that uh, in the vlog. But I think in terms of, yeah, no intermissions or, like, how they intended it, like, in terms of production, I think there is... I think it's fun to consider authorial intent. And maybe it's because we 
kind of view films critically, and we are sort of film critics, amateur film critics, um, and maybe the general audience won't see it this way, but like, I am curious about authorial intent because it makes me view the film in a different way and it helps me learn how film criticism works. Because if they say like, oh, this film is, this scene's intended to be looked at this way, but I'm like, but your lighting doesn't give me that impression. I can like start thinking about like, why do they make the lighting this way, but they intended the feeling to be like this. It helps me critically analyze films. So do I think authorial intent matters for the viewer personally? No. Does authorial intent kind of help me become a better film critic? Sometimes, yeah. So I think it kind of depends, but yeah, what do you think? I think I, I, I agree with you. I think that authorial intent when it comes to directors, you know, like what they're, what they, what they present on screen, like, like the, you know, what they're talking about, like within the scene, you know, it's up to the audience to decide what it means. If if it's, like, kind of metaphorical, if it's super literal, like, with lines of dialogue, you know, and it's, like, there's nothing, no no greater meaning behind it, that's, that makes sense. But, like, if the, but most of the time a director has some sort of, not hidden meaning, hidden meaning, but, like, something they want to say in their movie. And it's up to the audience to say what that is. And it could be, you and I could have wildly different interpretations of, of a, a movie and that's fine as long as as long as you know you can agree that this is what the director had intended and then you can say well this is not what I took away from it or this is what I took away from it um, in terms of authorial intent when it comes to what they how they present their image on screen I think that's a whole other debate yeah yeah so now we have directors arguing about this mm-hmm. with this new screening room technology. Yes. And you have people like Chris Nolan and like James Cameron talking about seeing films as they're intended. Which and I find I find that very striking because James Cameron is all about pushing the like modern technology forward, but then you have Christopher Nolan who is exclusively with film and IMAX and like film IMAX. Yeah. So it's really interesting that these two sides of a coin are coming together to say no we should not be putting movies on or not not should be doing this screening room thing movies are supposed to be presented in the theater it's really just funny that basically one of the kings of digital and the kings of film are coming together and and you, you can probably look at it into like they're coming at it from two different angles like Christopher Nolan is all about like theater experience yes and like the communal experience of seeing it in the theater and how it's intended Whereas I think James Cameron, as the technology guy, maybe he views it as, since he likes to push the boundaries of technology so much, theaters are the best way to experience that kind of technology. Like, your home is not supportive of massive IMAX screens. and Or in 3D. Like, I saw Avatar in 3D when it came out in 2009, and then we got the Blu-ray, which our Blu-ray actually has the 3D version of it, but we don't have a 3D TV because that's too expensive. Yeah. Um, so, but we have the 3D, it's like, got the 3D, 2D, DVD, digital HD combo, we, you know, we just went for it. Um, and it's, it's a different experience at home because it's, because if you've, if you saw Avatar in the theaters, you know, in 2009, that, that technology was incredible. It was groundbreaking. You never saw anything like that. But I mean, now in 2016, we can argue how, what it looks like now, but 
but at the time it was such an experience um and you we can talk about how you know movies that you see in theaters and then there you see them again on tv and they just don't have the same oomph to it uh and i think james cameron is always wanting people to see movies in the in in the theaters because that's how he, he makes his movies intended for audiences to be you know wowed like titanic was all about the recreation of of that famous ship and the big expansive you know wide shots and and the whole the once the iceberg hits the entire movie was about the 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 ship sinking and like that that was one giant set piece and you know his movies have always like terminator 2 uh the terminator aliens like all his movies have been very theater oriented groundbreaking let's push the boundaries in the yeah. cinema whereas it's it's funny that you know his he always pushes digital technology and then sometimes you go back and you rewatch his movies and they kind of look silly because of technology in and of itself it's dated uh i've rewatched titanic recently and you could see the little animated people on the ship in the wide shots they're so fake looking but that's because he made the movie 1997, when, yeah. when computer-generated technology was only about 20 years old at the time. Now yeah. it's almost 40. So we're getting, you know, you put you, he keeps pushing the boundaries, but he leaves his movies in the dust sometimes. It's interesting that, and then you you see Chris, and then you have Christopher Nolan who makes movies like Interstellar and Dark Knight and uh, Memento, like these you know grand movies shot on film or IMAX in terms of Interstellar and Inception and his late, his more later movies. Um, you know, he's all, he's also about the theater going experience, but in terms of more of a traditional film, filmmaking techniques. Yeah. I, I'm going to come right out here and say it. I am supportive of the screening room. Okay. And I think because for me, like, I'm not going to get it. Because, as we've discussed, I like going to movies. Right. But I am also financially able to go to movies. Right. And physically able to go to movies. And uh, there's nothing stopping me from going to movies. But you have people, you know, you have families of four. And maybe they don't want to go and their kid starts crying in the movie and they interrupt it for everyone and they have to leave and et cetera, et cetera. It's expensive for them. You know, okay. family of four. Like we've talked about, movies a pop for screening room is $50, which some people have said, that's expensive. But when you think about a family of four, tickets alone are going to get close to that. And then if they get concessions, they're going to go well over 50 Very true. And at home, they can be in the comfort of their own home with their kids. It's $50 for all of them. They can make food. They can do whatever. So, you know, maybe I'm sticking my foot in my mouth and maybe if this screening room does happen and theaters start failing because of it that will be an entirely different discussion you heard it here folks (laughs) but i don't think that's gonna happen Mm because i don't think everyone is gonna be like oh yeah i want to lay down 150 dollars on technology and then 50 dollars every time i want to see a movie and you only have 48 hours to see it so i feel like it's gonna be one of those things where it's going to be convenient for some Mm -hmm. and it's going to be able to give people more access to the movies which is good because then more people can see the movies like this might help independent movies true and it might help more original films you know at least i hope so 
And so I am supportive of it because it's not going to stop me from going to the theaters. Right. It's not saying that you can't go to the theaters anymore. It's not like it's going to harm you in any way. Yeah. Unless the unless a theater near you starts to shut down or anything. Like, you know, if it, it in, in the early run or whatever, it probably won't affect you at all. Like, yeah. And, you know, right now we could talk, we, we're talking about how directors are the ones fighting about it. Not, not us. Like, we're just... You know, it's not causing a you know conflict between people who are going to see a movie. There yeah. are, it's not like you. It's not like. I mean, personally, I'm not for it. I, um, I think that the price is a little bit too much. I think, um, at least, I, I don't. This is this is how I put it. If if you want to see a movie in a theater, if you want to see a movie but you can't go to the theater, it's possible now to wait three to four months to see it on demand uh or 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 like order the blu-ray to come to your house on amazon or watch it on amazon or watch it on netflix when it comes on netflix which might be a year later when it from the theater release week um but i think that 150 dollars for the movie technology right off the bat that's too much i think for that Mm -hmm. for that technology alone um, I think that we already have a service like that with Comcast, with Verizon, with a lot of different other companies where you have a lot more, like, I don't know, the a lot more stuff with the price of $150 or, or more. Um, and then the $50 for the 48-hour rental, I understand what you're saying when it comes to, like, families of four or more going to see the movie, and that's going to be their price to see a movie in the theater. And I totally get that that's what, that's that's totally, like, something that families might be more comfortable doing is getting the, getting the, the, the box and then renting a movie for the same price they would go to see the movie because that's how many people they have, and they can control who gets what food and whatnot. Um, and they don't have to co- they don't have to spend extra money on food. Um, I think from a from someone my experience of being a single uh, guy who goes to see movies with friends or by himself, fifty dollars to see a movie is too much for me. True, but they're not making it the technology. So that's 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 the other. So point. like that's I don't the- see I don't see any reason not to have this technology because if it helps certain people, then great. Yes. And if it doesn't help you and if it's too expensive for you, then you don't have to get it. And so I think that's why I think... Because, like, there's something to be said, especially in the age of social media, that waiting for a movie to come out on demand or waiting for a movie to hit Netflix is going to kind of keep you out of the zeitgeist, as it were. And some people might not care about that. Some people might not be involved in this conversation. But for those who are but can't get to a theater, it might be nice to be able to see it the day it comes out. And so I think that's just the thing, is that, like, it's not going to work for everyone, but it might work for some, and why not let them enjoy it? True. I just wonder if if the investment of of the $50 or the 150 for the set-top box will, will be worth it. Because not every... And the other thing is... Not every movie people will want to see. Um, yeah. So if you, so like if if it's just sitting there, like on your, on your on your TV stand, you know, not not being played, you have to ask yourself, you know, was that worth it? 
was that purchase yeah. worth it? Or if, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, when Netflix do, does their, uh, movie releases, Regal and AMC, they came out against showing Beasts of No Nation and of the sequel to, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So, like, theaters are not going to be, um, or d- exhibitors and distributors might not be okay with showing their movies on the screening room uh, technology. It could yeah. be that major motion pictures like the new Marvel movies or the new Star Wars movies or prestige films, they might not get the release that screening room is hoping for on screening room. Like Sh- like Sean Parker is the guy who was like, uh, I think, I don't know if he, he didn't, he definitely didn't create it, but he's like, like, the like the the I guess he would be like the Mark Zuckerberg or the Sean Parker of this company of you know what they're doing, and if movie studio, studios like Marvel or Disney or Disney or Lionsgate or someone they're just like we're not going to do that we're just going to do our own thing we're going to show our movies in the theaters and then four months later they're going to be on demand, then it's possible then that this technology might become in, something for independent movies, but a lot of independent movies they don't they probably don't have the the budget to sh- to to distribute their movie on such a technology because getting a movie um, distributed anyhow is very expensive even for yeah. even for independent features. So it's true when it comes to how what movies are going to be on this thing, we don't know yet. We don't know yet yeah. if Marvel's going to say sure we'll do it. And most most likely, I don't think they will because they want. I th- I think that. As much as they're a business, they want people to have like a communal theater experience. I it feels to me that, that, that like they're like it's like Disney. They're, they're very traditionalist about that. Um, I think that definitely the, maybe the the less popular movies will get, will get like you always have like movies that you've never heard of on Netflix that are streamed forever, and it might turn into a situation that like that where you're just gonna have B and C movies on the screening room because a lot of these top Hollywood people are not going to, they're not going to release their movies on this, on this. um, True. Because I mean, I mean, this isn't like they're not going to be shown in theaters. It's, it's almost like it's, it's, I think it's like the reason why we don't get a lot of day and date movies for large movies. Like, uh, like a lot of independent movies, they get, a release on iTunes on the same day that they're released limited in theaters. You don't get that with a Marvel movie. You don't get that with a Star Wars film. It's because yeah. of how they want their movies to be shown first, which is, in most cases, the theater. And I think that they're probably not going to go with this technology because if they were already doing day and date with like Comcast On Demand or Verizon or some on-demand system... They would be, they would be for it now. Yeah. Um, and I think that, like the, the the reason we're having a debate is because there are people who don't want their movie, like, or not debate. Um, the reason that these filmmakers are having a debate um, online or you know in the media is because not everyone is cool about it. And I think that we're not going to get all the movies that people think they're hoping to get on on this technology. That was a really long, really long <laughs> tangent, but suffice it to say, we don't. There's a lot we don't know yet about how it's what's going to happen. Um, 
and I think that this is, you know, it's a, it's definitely a topic we're going to talk about more if, if it keeps becoming a thing. Um, yeah. But right now, I mean, like, from I understand totally what you're saying about people who can't go to the movies um, financially or whatever, or, you know, something that t- takes them away from the theater-going experience and they want to see them see a movie, then totally, yeah, a family of five, a family of six would want to see a movie at home um, and they would be paying basically the same amount they would at the theater. Um, yeah. And then there are people like me who... I can go see the, a movie in the theater and there's nothing stopping me from doing that. Um, and I wouldn't... And I don't have... I don't really have the financial responsibility to pay for movies for 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 a $50 movie. Um, yeah. When I could see it in theater for $15 and then four months later buy like the blu-ray or buy the digital copy for a little bit more more than that but i but still not get to 50 so i think fair enough so i think everyone's situate we're everyone's coming at this from different situations i just think that this is a conflict that in the movie industry that either will really shake up things or will fizzle out Mm-hmm. Um, because it seems like if enough if enough Hollywood people don't like it, it won't happen. Um, yeah, but so far most people are siding with it. That's true. There's a lot of stakeholders who are very you know like Steven Spielberg and J.J. Abrams who are like all about it. Yeah. Um, it's possible. You know, we, we just don't know. Um, but right now, like, I I totally agree with you that it, you know if I don't want to buy the service, I don't have to buy the service. There's no reason for me to buy the service. Um, so, but, but for, for some reason for me, I think it's because that's how I want, how I want to view movies is in the theater. Um, me personally, I'm not going to buy the, the service. Uh, I think that I, I just hope that it doesn't like start to like, you know, and I just hope nothing happens to movie theaters because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I mean, movie theater a lot of people are not going to movies now because of the rising theater ticket prices they're staying home they're watching movies on demand um you know i think that if more people went to the movies maybe tickets would go down more or something like everything a lot of this stuff is in flux like the technology you know is always advancing and this and it might become the norm that that's how movies are you know some movies are distributed like bigger movies, yeah. um, but it just seems like right now, I just want to see movies in the theater. And but that's just that's where I'm coming from. Fair. So before we wrap up, speaking of seeing movies in the theaters, one last thing I wanted to talk about are kind of movie theaters and their sales and how technology might be affecting them. 2014 had one of the lowest box office sale records in 20 years. 2015 had a really great box office sale record, but attendance was down. Um, I mean, a lot of theaters do mostly get their money from concessions, Mm -hmm. so it's possible to have good sales in 2015 without having great attendance. But so we are seeing kind of we had that really bad 2014 year, we had a better 2015 year, but still not as many people as they would like. So do you think theaters are in danger right now? And there's a variety of reasons. There is people prefer to watch them at home. People 
think it's too expensive. People spend their money on other things, etc., etc. So do you think that they're in danger? I think a little bit yes and a little bit no. I think that, you know, movie theaters have been around since movies were invented. And, you know, it, there's good historical precedence that when whenever there's a new technology, people are always like, oh, this is the death of the theater, this is the death of the movies. But they've always kind of been remained. They've been they've remained, and I think that uh, we might get like smaller theater chains might start, you know, failing, and that's not good. That's definitely not good. But I think overall, like the like like the big chains like Regal and AMC and those guys, like I don't think they're in any danger. Um, it'd be surprising if one of them failed. Uh, but I under- but but then you've got like what we were just talking about with screening room technology. If people started to see if they if there was a benefit, if more people were seeing the benefits of seeing of doing screening room technology and less going to theater chains, then I think they'd be even in, in worse shape than they are now. Yeah, I I agree with you. I don't think movie theaters are going anywhere. I don't think they're really in danger of going anywhere. They mm-hmm. are kind of a staple of society at this point, and such a common thing. Such a, they're almost like a tradition. Yeah, going out on Friday night or Saturday night to the movies, and I don't think they're going anywhere. But I think things could start shifting in the future. Whether or not theaters start running things differently, whether or not, like you said, smaller theater chains do go out of business, and we only have the big ones. I think I think we're going to start seeing a change. And I don't know what that change is going to be or if it's going to be good or bad, but I think we're headed that way. I mean, technology certainly like technology is only going to keep advancing. Right. As we keep going and keep changing and it is going to affect certain aspects of society and our lives and I think movies are one of them. Yeah. But I don't think we'll ever not be able to go to the movies, which is good because, as we both discussed, we love going to the movies. Exactly, and you know, really great. when it comes to the screening room, like at the end of the day, it's not my decision to say how this technology operates. And like you said, like I don't have to, I don't have to buy it, and I'm probably not going to buy it because I don't really. I'd rather, you know, I can see a movie in the theater, or I can if I'm if I want to see a movie. But not in the theater. I could wait for the DVD order, or like the Red Box to come out, or you know, I could I could wait to see it, um, uh, or wait for it to be like, I don't know, on Netflix, you know, whatever. Um, and I think that movie theaters, yeah, they're just they're not gonna go away. It's too they're too much of, a, of an institution to just fail. Also, on the topic of like zeitgeist, real quick. I don't know if it's just me, but I've noticed... I used to really care about being involved in the conversation. And to an extent, I still do. I do like to be involved in the conversation. Especially working in the industry that I work in and, like, kind of being involved with this. It is important to stay on top of things. But I do find that if I, like, takes me a week or two to see a movie, it it doesn't matter nearly as much as I thought it did. Mm-hmm. Like, life goes on. Yeah. And that's so. and that's kind of where I'm coming at this with the screen with my 
with my view on screening room if you want to see a movie but you can't go to the movie theater we do have options to, to yeah. see it in months down the line like it, yeah. it, it's not right away and and so and like you would not be paying fifty dollars for it you'd yeah. be paying 15 at most yeah uh, like netflix saving le petit prince which thank goodness yes by the way that was also really cool. screw paramount for dropping it yeah that was weird that was just that was i, I want to know what went what went on to make them drop it especially like the day before yeah but i'm also like personally offended because i love that story so much and the movie looks brilliant mm-hmm. so like thank goodness for netflix yeah um so so, I mean, I think we can overall say that we like movies, we like seeing movies, we like going to, to the movie theater, we also like watching movies at our house. Um, yeah. How, how and when that happens, it, that's up for debate, because technology is ever advancing. It is, it is, and we're curious to see what the future holds in store for us. Yes. Alright, so that is our episode on movies and watching movies and the future. Uh, but, as always, before we end our episode, we have our last segment, which is We Really, Really, Really Like You. So, I'm excited because I haven't been able to do this in the past couple weeks and so I've missed you talking can go, about what You can go first because you haven't, right. you haven't done. <laughs> so, what's making me happy, I'm a bit kind of out of things still because I'm still sort of jet-lagged and on vacation and things. Um, but what's making me happy is uh, getting back into my podcasts because... I love our podcast. I love listening to other podcasts. And most recently, um, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast is making me really happy. I love that podcast. I, you know, I'd be lying if we said that our last little segment wasn't entirely inspired from them, um, which is great because they, they're formatted really well. And I really like the personalities there. Yeah, the main kind of three who are usually there each episode, which is Linda... Holmes, Stephen Thompson, and Glenn Weldon, and all three of them are so great. I love all of them a lot. I especially love Glenn Weldon. Yeah. Speaking of Glenn Weldon, I bought I bought his Superman book and I pre-ordered his Batman book. Yay! I uh, want to read his Superman book. And he's doing a talk with Linda Holmes at Kramer Books in Dupont Circle next week. You're uh, going, right? I'm I'm gonna try and go. It's a so that's gonna be great. You have to go and tell them that we're big fans. Yes. We have a um, podcast but- <laughs> and maybe inspired by you guys, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really love that podcast. I love listening to them. They always have really good points and they're very thoughtful and I like the topics that they consider and talk about. So yeah, the uh, N- NPR Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast is making me happy. Cool. And they re- had recently done a Hamilton podcast. They did, which was a great episode. Yes, it was so good. very great. Uh, they they did a lot of song inserts, which is great because you can't talk about Hamilton without playing a song from it. And they played like seven or eight. It yeah, great. it was great. Yeah. So, what do you really like? Uh, I talked about this a little bit earlier on the, on the show, but this is what I really like is the Superman triple feature uh, that I had bought on Blu-ray. Um, Target has a lot of great deals, and one of those deals is movies that you can get, like, three movies for $15. So I got, and it's it's like an actual, like, triple feature special Blu-ray combo pack. It's not, like, three movies for 15 It's Superman the movie from, and it's the extended edition, nice. uh, and, like, one of the director's cuts. Uh, it's Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, which is famously... It was famously released um, 
at when Superman Returns, which is the third movie in this triple feature, when that came out, they there was enough fan, uh, I guess not, pro, what would be the word, fan approval or whatever. A lot of people wanted because most of the movie had been shot by Richard Donner in in 1980, 1979, when they were doing the sequel. Um, but halfway through Superman 2, or 75% of the way through, uh, Richard Donner was fired through, you know, difference, citing differences with the executive producers. Yeah. And Richard Lester, who was an ex- executive producer on the first movie, came in and, and reshot a bunch of stuff and and finished the movie. And it was to his... It was, they were both um, noted as the directors of... But it was basically the Richard Lester version that was in theaters and then on home video afterwards. But in 2001, they had started making the... Um, there was a lot of fan, you know, talk about the Richard Donner cut that might might never be made back then. Um, but with a lot of people doing... Direct, a lot of movies coming out on DVD with director's cuts like Apocalypse Now as infamously the Star Wars movies, like, a lot of people, yep. a lot of directors were, star- Blade Runner, a lot of them were starting to do their own cuts. Um, Ridley Scott's a big fan of that. So, they started toying with doing a Richard Donner cut, and Richard Donner wasn't, he was putting, giving advice, but he wasn't really on board with it. He was, like, saying, well, if I was going to do it, I was going to get, if, if I was going to make this movie, I would make it like this, and he was giving input to, to the mm-hmm. editor. And then at some point, he just said, screw it, I'm just going to, you know, be fully on board with this. And they released it as its own movie. You can, as Superman 2, colon, the Richard Donner cut. Um, yeah. And at the very beginning of the movie, it says, uh, you know, this is how the movie was originally intended. It's kind of talk- how we were talking earlier about authorial intent. It's how the ori- how he wanted Superman 2 to be. Yeah. Um, and... I've seen Superman Returns. I like what Brandon, like retroactively, what Brandon Routh was doing as super as Christopher as a Christopher Reeve, not lookalike, but like he really actually did a really great job of being like Superman. Yeah. But the movie just got really boring really quickly. Um, Kevin Spacey does a really good Lex Luthor as Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. Um, yeah. And you could definitely tell that Brian Singer was like, I'm just gonna be making like my version of Superman three. Um, and there's a lot of, like, a lot of callbacks to that one, but what, what I really like is Superman, uh, like, the, 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 the first two Superman movies, uh, I think that they are very great. The first one is really biblical, really, step like... It's the best Superman movie. Let's just, like... Yeah. We're just gonna put that out there. We and think this, it's the best. And this is kind of because I wanted to rewatch a bunch of, like, DC stuff because, as you know, there's a new comic book movie coming out with Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and possibly the rest of the Justice League. Who knows? Um, but I wanted to rewatch some some old Superman stuff. So some, I, some good Superman yes. stuff. You mean? So I rewatched. Whoa. I rewatched uh, the first the Superman one and the Richard Donner cut, and they basically act as one long movie. It's very Deathly Hollows esque, where the second movie takes place. Uh, it, catches, it tries to catch you up right after the, the, the end of Superman 1. Um, a lot of things in the, in the extended version of Superman 1, they, you know, the, a lot of stuff with Zod is in the beginning, and then they bring it in in, in the second movie. And so it's it's very much like a two-parter, um, whereas, whereas like the third and fourth movies in, in the Christopher Reeve Superman were kind of standalones. So 
I I just really like uh, Superman with John Williams music behind it. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That was, that was a, really, a great that was thing a, to like. That was a really long tangent, but. I but just it's like all good. It's like Super Reeves, Superman, Richard Donner, Don Williams. And I forgot how funny Superman was. Oh my god, Christopher Reeves is so funny as Superman. His Clark Kent is just great. And he, like, his Clark Kent, like, is great. Like, the way the two, the two how he just, you know, shifts from one character to the other, it's, it's great. Brilliant. And it's brilliant. I was re I was rereading the, tri- the trivia on IMDb, and... Christopher Reeve isn't even in the movie until like 40 minutes in. Yeah. And then yep. he's not even Superman until like another 30. Yep. So. It's incredible. Yeah. So that's awesome. All right. So if you guys have any thoughts on how you guys like to watch movies, your thoughts on the screening room, the future of movie theaters, um, if you listen to NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour or other podcasts, if you like Christopher Reeve Superman, you should come talk to us and let us know. And where can they do that, Willoughby? We have a blog, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We have a Facebook. If you search for us on Facebook, uh, we're the Millennial Falcon. We are on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. And we're also on iTunes, where you might be listening to us right now. Um, if not, we're also on SoundCloud. Uh, so, Anya, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at Anya Crittenton. And you guys can find me at Willoughby Dobbs. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.